Good morning, church. Just so you'll not feel slighted, it was just as bad for us in Pflugerville as it has been for you here in Wimberley. So we did not escape. We're looking at the uh, seven churches in Revelation chapter 2. Find your Bible and open them with me there, if you will, this morning. I think I know you well enough to say this. I'm confident that you as individuals and we as a church would never take giant steps away from the Lord and His will in our lives. I think I know you with that well. I'm a little less confident that any church, including us, would not hazard to risk taking small steps away from the Lord and His will in our lives. That's called incrementalism. All of us all of us fall danger to that, taking small steps, incrementalism. It's also called compromise. Let's, uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Let me read this first. On June 24th, 2021, Part of the slab from the 136-unit Chaplin Towers South, that's a high-rise condo in Surfside, Florida, marketed as luxurious living at its best. But part of the slab from this big condo fell into, dropped into the parking lot garage below. Within minutes, the entire east wing of the 13-story tower collapsed killing 98 people. You may recall that. Officials are still investigating why the tower fell. Engineers point to some initial decisions that compromised the building foundation and caused it to fall. Let me just read from the Wall Street Journal. Each of the decisions were relatively inconsequential, and none of the decisions by themselves would have caused the collapse, but... Collectively, they were catastrophic. Engineers say some of the issues would have been fixable had the property's condo board done more extensive repairs sooner. Cracks began appearing as early as 1996, but the condo board failed to act, causing a disaster that is without precedent in U.S. history. Compromise. Compromise. Church, we cannot, we cannot compromise our foundation. Not even a little bit. In addition to worrying about big compromises, we need to also, and perhaps even more so, worry about small compromises. We're going this morning to be looking at the church in Pergamum in chapter 2, verse 12. The church of Pergamum was a compromising church because some of its members compromised. In this, Jesus' letter to them, he describes two of their characteristics and then offers two options, same options available to us. It's going to be good for us this morning to listen to Jesus' comments 
to the church in Pergamum. Here we go, chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to take this a, a small bite at a time. Verses 12 and 13. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, and you're holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. Now, the first characteristic of a compromising Christian and the first characteristic of a compromising church is they often stand strong on the big issues, and this is to our credit. Let's begin by understanding a little bit about the situation here in Pergamum, as we established with Smyrna last Sunday. Smyrna was, if you'll recall, a very cosmopolitan city. Pergamum also is an impressive city, built on the top and the sides of a 1,000-foot hill or mountain, if you will. The very peak of this steep hill was built an impressive tower to Zeus, which from a distance looked very much like a seat or a throne, hence Jesus' comments there in verse 13. John's reference to Satan dwelling there probably has reference to the fact that Pergamum was the official capital city of Asia for emperor worship, or Caesar worshiped. Now we need also know this terrible piece of information which Jesus refers to there also. Pergamum was the first Roman city in Asia to execute a Christian. His name was Antipas. According to tradition, they slowly roasted Antipas in a large bronze kettle until he per perished. They did that in order to scare other Christians. The Christians there at the church at Pergamum, they were trying to scare them from taking the stand for Jesus, take a giant step away from their faith. To their credit, it did not work. They held fast to the name of Jesus. They refused to deny him. No one could force the Christians at Pergamum to take a giant step away from Christ. You know, we're all appalled that Russia, this large, powerful nation, is attacking Ukraine, a smaller nation, a weaker nation, trying to take them over. And we've all been impressed by Ukraine, how they've not bowed down to Russia, but they've stood up to them. Let's imagine for a moment that Wimberley is a town in Ukraine and Russia were to come in and take over Wimberley. Would we bow down to them? See, I think I know you well enough to say you would not. What if they came and forcefully took over our church building? Would they be able to forcefully make you no longer worship God? You would not. You would not. I've been around you long enough to know that that 
That's the case. No one could force the Christians at Wimberley to take a giant step away from Christ. No one could force us to be atheists. No one could force us to be Muslims. No one could force us to be Jewish. No one could force us to be Mormons. I'm just saying no one could force us to take a giant step away from our faith in Christ Jesus. Do you agree? Do you know yourself well enough to say that? No one could forcefully cause us to do that. Having established that, the primary characteristic here in our passage of a compromising church, the primary characteristic is giving in to smaller issues, not the large ones, the smaller issues. Jesus says here in verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. We have to understand who Balaam and Balak were before this will make any sense to us. They were both Old Testament figures documented beginning in Numbers chapter 21. Balak was the king of Moab. He was afraid of the nation of Israel. He was afraid of their strength. He wanted to do something to weaken Israel. Balaam was a corrupt prophet of God for Israel who Balak paid to weaken Israel. And the way Balaam did that was he taught the Midianite women how to gently draw the Israelite men away from God. A little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. It worked. And in time, the Israelite men were participating in Balaam, Balaam's worship and pagan worship in adultery. Over the centuries, the name Balaam came to be synonymous with corrupt teachers who led Christians into compromise with worldly ways. And that's how it's being used here. In verse 15 of our passage, Jesus uses a different term, Nicolaitans, to describe the same problem going on there at Pergamum. Although the Christians stood firm against the threat of death, as we've already pointed out, they did allow themselves to be eroded by making small concessions, small compromises, baby steps away from Christ. I'm familiar with a church in Austin. I'm sure you don't know who they are. At one time, they were a shining star for the Lord in that part of the city. They led hundreds of souls to faith in Christ Jesus. There were many there who surrendered to the gospel ministry, many there who surrendered to foreign mission work. Many people were trained up in that church as strong leaders and made their way into other churches where they became strong leaders. That was true at First Baptist Church, Pflugerville. We received some of those leaders there at Pflugerville. I won't tell you the name of the church, 
All I will tell you is that by the time I arrived 30 years ago, that same church was a mere shadow of who they once were. I asked a man in our church who had been a product of that church way back in the day what had happened. He said, Pastor, you know, they just, it happened gradually. They just took one baby step at a time. One small step away from the Lord, followed by another small step away from the Lord. One compromise, followed by another compromise. One incremental step, followed by another incremental step. When I got here 30 years ago, that church was ordaining gay men and gay women as pastors and deacons. They had dwindled down to where they could barely keep their doors open. I know that they were singing secular songs in church as their hymns. I'm talking about Simon and Garfunkel and the Eagles. Good songs, but they just weren't hymns. They finally came to the point where they just had to close their doors. And the association took over their building. Not huge steps, not giant steps away from the Lord. They just they stepped on the slippery slope at the top and slid all the way to the bottom. Compromise after compromise after compromise. We cannot make even small concessions, small compromises, not even baby steps away from Christ. Surely you won't do that. Surely you'll be aware of it, awake to it, be alert to it. Do not give in on the small issues. Now Jesus gives Pergamum and us two options. This first one's even hard to say. Battle with Christ. Jesus says in verse 16, Therefore repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my spirit. Jesus, talking to the church, says, I will fight against them. You'll fight against the individuals, not against the church. The sword of my mouth as used there and as all throughout all revelation symbolizes divine judgment. So those who are damaging the cause of Christ have reason to be concerned because Christ will fight against them and judge them. Wow, you know, we want Christ with us, not against us, right? We don't ever want to find ourselves in a position where Christ is fighting against us. We always want Christ with us. Dr. Leo Winters, the acclaimed Chicago cardiologist from the 20th century, tells how he was awakened by his phone about 1 a.m. in the morning. This was before cell phones. A boy had been seriously injured in a car accident. Dr. Winters was the foremost 
cardiologist skilled in repairing this kind of heart damage. He threw on his clothes, ran to his car, took a shortcut through a difficult part of town, rough part of town, in order to get to the hospital sooner. While he was stopped at a traffic light, a gruff-looking man in a flannel shirt jerked his door open, pulled Dr. Winters out onto the street, jumped into his car, and sped away. Being before cell phones, Dr. Winters had to chase down a phone somewhere that time in the morning, call for a cab, got the cab, arrived at the hospital 45 minutes late. By the time he got there, the boy had already passed away. He went to the attending physician. The physician said the boy's dad got here just before the boy died. He's in the chapel. You can't imagine why you didn't come earlier. Would you go speak to him? Dr. Winters went into the chapel and discovered that the boy's dad was the man in the flannel shirt to pull him out of the car and stole his car. I have a feeling I've met that man. With his marriage on the rocks, he doesn't have time for God, so he pushes God out of his life. With his teenage daughter gone wild, he doesn't have time for God, pushes God out of his life in order to attend to his teenage daughter. With his work collapsing, his career collapsing all around him, he doesn't have time for God. He pushes God out of his life in order to attend to his collapsing career. I don't have time for God. Get him out of my life. I have to devote myself to the issues of life. We push God out of our life in order to attend to the things in our life. Listen to me. If we push out of our life, the only one who can help with issues in our life, we're warring with Christ. If we push out of our life, the only one who can help with our marriage, our marriage is going to fail. If we push out of our life, the only one, the only one who can help with our career, our career is going to crash and burn. We don't want to push out of our lives the only one who can help with our lives. That's one option. Battle with Christ. Jesus describes it here. Here's the alternative we want. Behavioral change. Repentance. Now here in verse 17, Jesus is no longer speaking to a compromising church. Now he's speaking to a repentant church. Now a victorious church filled with victorious Christians. That's who Jesus is addressing now. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. Now I told you the entire book of Revelation is written with this symbolic imagery. So we have to kind of dig back into the culture then and understand what he's, what he's talking about. Jesus will give the repentant church 
hidden manna, which means great blessings. Jesus is going to give the repentant church blessings upon top of blessings upon top of blessings. He's going to rain blessings down upon the repentant church. To the right, blessings. To the left, blessings. Straight ahead, blessings. In the midst of all the things that go on in the world, Jesus is going to give great blessings to the repentant church. Manna from heaven is what Jesus calls it. And, he says, he will give the repentant church a white stone. A white stone was used as an invitation to a banquet. If you received a white stone from a, a man who owns his, his home, you were, you were being invited to a banquet in his home. Jesus gives out white stones to the repentant church, inviting the repentant church to a banquet. Now, you know, I was raised by a bastard daddy, so I, I don't have a lot of experience with banquets. After mom died, we moved in with my grandparents for a while, for a couple years. Grandma was a great cook, but the time came we had to leave uh, our grandparents' house, and we moved into government housing. I grew up in government housing. I grew up on my dad's cooking. <laughs> Corn dogs. Frito pies. Mm, 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 mm. Fish sticks. Grilled cheese sandwiches. Mm, mm, mm. And frozen TV dinners. <laughs> but every now and then, people, every now and then, that little church there, First Baptist Church, Bells, Texas, where I grew up, they would have a covered dish fellowship. And I just, <laughs> I just don't know how to describe this. It was like having 50 grandmas. These women will cook, they would cook their favorite best dish, their prize dish, and they would come competing with each other. You know, each one of them would, would want to have a dish better than all the others. And you walk into that little fellowship hall and they have tables lined up on both walls filled with these dishes. And I remember, I'm trying to think, over, over on one wall over there was a stand-up piano and there would always be somebody playing on a stand-up piano and people singing hymns. And over here would be the men of the church and they'd have plates in their hands laughing about something. I don't know what they were always laughing about. Something was always funny. Telling stories to each other, always, always laughing. And the women who'd pick these dishes, they were coming around there real nuisance. They're always trying to force more food on you. You know, they want you to eat more of their favorite dish. And the kids, the ones with moms, they were all running around having a good time. But you know where I was? Man, I had my face in those dishes. <laughs> I was eating that food. Man, that was the best food I had ever eaten. So when I think about a banquet, that's what I think about. What do you think about? What do you think about? Jesus invites the repentant church, Jesus invites the repentant Christians to his banquet. Can you even imagine what that's going to be like? Christ's banquet is what the repentant Christian and the repentant church is being invited to. Christ's banquet, and his banquet lasts forever. Are you having some struggles in life? Yeah, join the club. All of us are. All of us are having difficulty in life, but this is only going to last a little while longer because we have been invited to Christ's 
banquet. And I'm going to tell you something. I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just like that kid again. Christ's church is having a banquet, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to enjoy the crud out of it. Be there with me.